So I, you, we all need love. We all long to feel known, to feel respected, to feel heard. We all long to feel loved. Maybe, maybe this has happened to you lately. You, you, you come home uh, after work, and you sit down, and, and the question says, well, how is your day? And you begin to really share how your day was, like, well, the, the struggles in your heart, what the, the burdens that you're carrying, and, and all of a sudden you, you see eyes that are looking past your shoulder or looking down at their phone or, or looking over at the, the TV, and, and this question enters your mind. Do they really love me? Do they really care? We all, every single one of us, desperately longs to be loved. And as we're walking through this this sermon series, talking about culture statements here at New Life, our culture statement today is this. God loves you, and God loves your neighbor. God loves you, and God loves your neighbor. It's, It's a promise and it's a call to action as we step in today's message. I, I love this because this is where you want to start. If I, if I shared with a neighbor anything, the, the first thing I would want them to experience is the love of God. He's holy, he's righteous, he's just, he's glorious. But the love of God. So we're walking through these nine culture statements, not only for us individually, for us as a church, of this is who God calls us to be as we awaken into a new normal. We, we, we started this three weeks ago. God is big and God is good. Then the gospel changes everything. Last week, the Bible is our source. This morning, this is where we're going to camp this morning. God loves you and your neighbor. We are contributors, not consumers. Character outlasts charisma. Life is better together Big church, small feel, and healthy churches multiply. Like I said, we'll dwell on God loves you and your neighbor. Just so Friday morning, I was listening to a podcast, and it went through this Forbes uh, survey of 4,000 CEOs, of of 4,000 of the largest companies in the world. Ask all these CEOs, what do they think they need to work on over this next year? And the CEOs, if you boiled all their answers down, the top two things they said, that we need to manage finances better and we need to become more technically relevant. That, that, that they as CEOs were not into social media. They needed to grow in technology. The other thing is, ask their employees, guess what two things they didn't say? You ask the employees, the number one answer came back to love. If they could love us and care for us as people, that's what we would want them to grow on. So we're going to walk through this statement, God loves you and your neighbor. We're really going to be asking three questions. What is love? That's where we'll start. And then what does it look like that God loves? Then finally we'll be asking, who is our neighbor? We, we, we talk about starting with what is love. Yeah. And there's a sense of like ridiculousness, like, well, I know what love is. Like, everybody knows what love is. But, but actually, when we, when we dive into God's word, I think we begin to see that our understanding of love is, is so dramatically different than God's. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's where we want to start is, is, what does God say about what love is? What does it mean that God loves you from God's point of view? Here's Here's how Paul talks about this in in, uh, his letter to the Romans. Here's what he says in Romans 5. We're going to start in verse 6. 
For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would, will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. But God shows his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. What is love? From God's perspective, love is not earned. Love is not something that, that, we, that, we, that we merit based on what we've done. How, how does God turn his love on us? Is it because we, we turn our, our, our hearts and begin to seek after him in some measure? No. Paul says this to the church at Rome. No, no. God loved you while you were ungodly, while you were still a sinner. He says otherwise, in another place where you're an enemy of his. God sets his love on us, though it's undeserved, though it's unmerited. God loves us, though there's nothing lovable about us. This is love. It is God's heart set on you. That's where this begins. God loves you. And that comes entirely out of the character of God. It, it is so beautiful to start to talk about love being undeserved because we, we think of love and, and oftentimes we say, well, they deserve to be loved. We, we ought to love because they are worthy of love. Which one of us as a junior hire didn't feel like we were more loved at home if we brought home A's versus you know, D's or C's or F's? <laughs> The world we live in loves conditionally. But when you look towards God, there is an unconditional beauty. I want to turn from a definition of love being undeserved just to gaze at God for a moment. When you look at the face of God, when you look into his eyes, what do you see? So many people see disappointment or see anger or even a tentative as if God is looking down inspecting are you worthy of love today? Are you, are you obedient enough to be loved today? That, that is not what you ought to see when you gaze upon God. In 1 John chapter 4, we read quite simply these words. God is love. Hmm. God is love. Now you could say God is holy, God is just, God is righteous. But, but love in its very being comes from God. God embodies love. You gaze into the eyes of Jesus. You look into the face of the Father. You stand in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you stand in the presence of love. Hmm. God is not a, nothing against these perfect. God is not an angry librarian going, shh, stop moving, be quiet, sit down. He, he's not, he's not, like these are stereotypes, but some angry police officer just wanting to get you in some form. God loves you, and God loves your neighbor. Hmm. And we hear that, right? So it's not that love is God. It's that God is love. It's yeah. not that my, my mushy, con sentimental conception of love is God. No, no, it's the other way around. God defines what love is. I love this question of, like, what do you see in God's eyes? As you, as you reflect right now in your Elsa pajamas, in your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pajamas, how do you think God is looking at you right now? With disappointment 
with shame, with disgust. No, God has eyes of compassion for us. I've been reading this, this really moving book to me by Dane Ortland. It's called Gentle and Lowly. It's about the heart of Jesus Christ. And in the book, I, Ortland asks this question. The, the way that he asks this question is, he says, when God is pricked, what does he bleed? What comes out of the veins of God? And he says, I, I think most of us think that, that this irritation, this frustration, this like, are you, are you bothering me again, just, just pours out of God. But, but what actually pours out of God clearly in Scripture is love. I had this, uh, this very memorable uh, French teacher in high school. Had her for all four years, actually. And uh, she, she was like an oversized personality. And when you walked into her classroom, the first thing you had to do was you had to pay very close attention to her. Because it could be either a lot of fun or you could be stepping into disaster zone. If, if it was a bad day for her, you needed to figure out as fast as possible how to like, how to meld into the wall so that she couldn't see you. Because if you mispronounced a word, if you, if you looked at her a little bit off, if, if, you, if, you, if you dropped the pin on the ground, like bad things were gonna happen. Like if you pricked her on those days, irritation and frustration bled out of her. I think a lot of us think, about God in that way. But God is a God who bleeds love. He bleeds compassion for us, even in our sin. Even when we are set against him, God loves us. You caught my attention when you said, if you mispronounce a word, (laughs) I would live in trouble. Listen to these words out of Matthew chapter nine. Hmm. Jesus is going from town to town, from village to village, And it says this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These crowds that are gathering around Jesus and that he sees in the villages, these are crowds that misunderstand him. These are crowds that judge him. These are crowds that are looking for a Messiah that looks different than Jesus looks. And yet he is not frustrated that they misunderstand him. He's not angry that they are looking for something different. What leaks out of him is compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had compassion on them. I've been in a conversation over this last week with someone who grew up in uh, the evangelical church community. Um, And yet, all of their growing up, they struggled with their own sexual identity and who they were and their feelings and who they understood themselves to be. And what they felt from the church was judgment. What they felt from the church was condemnation. Not okay. Not okay. Jesus Jesus looks on the crowds with compassion. Doesn't mean he, he, he wants to see the crowds transformed into the glory of God. But he looks out and love leaks from him. God loves you and your neighbor. Hmm, I love that. So we, we began with this question, what is love? Then we said, what is it that, that God loves us? And now we begin to ask this question, well, who is our neighbor? 
Now, now Jesus puts these together. In fact, this is how Jesus is going to package it. If Jesus boils down, like, what does it look like for you to walk in his ways? This is how he's going to respond to that. And in Matthew uh, 22, uh, a lawyer asks him the question. And here's his question in verse 36. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says, this is, this is what your life is about. In fact, you can look at this as the, as the exact inverse of this statement, right? We begin with this truth, that God loves you, God loves you, God loves me, and God loves my neighbor. God loves your neighbor. Well, the inverse of that is our call as Christians, to love God and then to love our neighbor. It, it comes back to this reality that we're called to reflect God's heart of love to the world. That's our invitation as Christians. So we don't know if it's the same lawyer. This is a different passage from Luke chapter 10. But, but a lawyer, understanding and having heard that Jesus taught, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, he's interacting with Jesus. And he says, hey, so what do we need to have to get eternal life? And Jesus says, what do you think? And he says, well, love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, you're right, go and do it. And so he, he follows up with this question. It's kind of this, this nitpicky question of, I really want to figure out, God, exactly what I need to get the grade. I need to know what to do. If I want an A in this class, and I need to know what to do. So who is my neighbor? Who it's is the kid neighbor? who reads the syllabus on the first day, and they're like, okay, how many days can I skip this class? <laughs> Correct. Eight. Okay, I'll, I will be gone eight days. Yeah, that, that's what he's. It's smart to only be gone seven, just in case you're <laughs> sick for one. I will. I will barely cross the hurdle. Yeah, go ahead, sir. So he asked this question, and Jesus tells a story. And the story Jesus tells, uh, many of us are familiar with. It's a, a prominent story in Scripture. The story of a good Samaritan. So there is a Jewish man who is robbed on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, and um, he's robbed on this road and. Uh, walking by on the road, first comes a priest. And the priest sees him and walks around the other side, not wanting to get into trouble. And then comes a Levite. And the Levite, similarly, walks around the other side of the road, passes by, and goes. And then comes a Samaritan. And it's impossible for us to really grasp the tension between Jews and Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans at that time have more tension built into their relationships than I think exist in the United States today, at least. So, so, so picture, uh, I don't want to get political, picture the, the furthest right-wing, <laughs> magna, make America great, Trump-supporting uh, guy over here, and picture the most progressive, liberal, whatever over there. They are more alike than yeah. Jew and Samaritan. And a Samaritan walks by, and he sees this man in need, and he cares for him. And in this, Jesus does a couple of things. But one, he defines a neighbor as anyone whose need you see, whose need you can meet. Mm -hmm. He defines a neighbor as anyone 
whose need you see, whose need you can meet. Yeah, I love that. When we begin to think about that question, well, who, who is my neighbor? What does it mean that God loves my neighbor? We, we, we think about it in these very concrete terms. Jesus puts it right in front of us. I love this. Who is my neighbor? It's the one, you could put, put it this way, the one who God has drawn near to you and God has given you the opportunity to meet their needs. I, I think about this in terms of, you could think about this maybe in terms of like spheres of influence that God has put in your life. And what's amazing is God has this uniquely for each one of us. Who has God put in your family? Like we don't get to choose our family. But, but who has God put in your family who's drawn near to you, who has a need that you can meet? Who are coworkers that God has drawn near to you? Who are those maybe in, a, you know, in your child's life that you have a, a connection with, that, 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 that God has drawn this family near to you? Who's your neighbor, your actual neighbor? You don't get to pick out your neighbors in your neighborhood. Who has God brought near to you? That God says, I'm calling you to meet them right where they are. I, I, I say this, like, like this, this whole sermon has been very convicting for me. Because to be honest right now, in the Beeson neighborhood, things are not all happy and well. Like, like we got some divisions, we got some cliques forming, we got some gossip happening, we got the, the popular kids, and we got the unpopular kids, and you got, you got shots being lobbed, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, like, like I'm so done with this. Like, can, you, can I just wash my, can I just push myself aside from this? But God says... John, I've set you there for a reason. I love them. Will you love them? Will you meet the needs in their heart that are, that are manifesting themselves in these, these nasty ways? But, but can you step and see them as I do and love them as I do? There is a, a hard calling in here to go out of your way to look at the need that's in front of you. Because oftentimes we want to avoid it and, and, and go the other way, like the, the priest and the Levite. So I'm in two HOAs because we all love HOAs so much. One of my HOAs is four people. Um, but of the four people, there's two that don't talk to each other. And I'm, I'm the go-between. I'm the middle guy in between the two. So, so, so neighbor, neighbor can mean a lot. But there's obviously something in the passage that draws us past just those around us. He's stretching us to consider a neighbor that's very different when he uses the example of a Samaritan. Picture yourself lost in a big city and you, you turn down a dark alley and you see a group of about 15 people huddled up and you're scared. What do those people look like in your mind? Are they white? Are they black? Are they Hispanic? Do they have tattoos? What? What are they dressed like? That's your neighbor. Mm -hmm. God is calling us to love the challenging, the difficult, and the different. The moment Jesus tells a story of a Samaritan being the hero, Jesus is calling us out of our comfort zone to say, you need to pay attention and see the needs of people around you especially those people who look different than you. That's your neighbor. God loves you, 
and he loves your neighbor. I love this. So, so that passage you just, you, you just walked us through is in yep. Luke 8. Yep. So I, I want to I walk us. Luke 10. Luke 10. You're going to Luke 8. I'm going to Luke 8. I, like Jesus doesn't just talk about this stuff. Like this is, is the way that Jesus lives. And so two, two chapters beforehand in Luke 8, I want to I give us just a glimpse of how does Jesus see our neighbor? Because when we begin to see God's heart and how God responds to our neighbor, then maybe our hearts can begin to be formed in that same manner. So let's, let's go to Luke 8. And I want to set this up by, by, by saying that there's, there's two neighbors in this passage. There's Jairus, and then there's going to be this woman. And in, in two very different ways, these are, these are not people that Jesus should have seen as his neighbor. In fact, this whole passage is going to start because Jesus is responding to a need of Jairus, who's a ruler of the synagogue. Now, like, like let's just pause right there. Like, who were Jesus' adversaries on this earth? Who were those who, who tried to push Jesus back, who, who tried to stop Jesus from what he was doing? Who, who were those who, who stood in his way, who, who set traps for him? It was, the, it was the religious leaders of his day. And here's Jairus, whose 12-year-old daughter is on the verge of death, and he comes desperate to Jesus. He says, Jesus, will you please heal my daughter? And Jesus sees him as his neighbor, as his neighbor. He doesn't, he doesn't push his nose in, in his wrongness. He, he sees him as his neighbor. He just has compassion. And then on the way, Jesus still has eyes for other neighbors. So let's pick up the passage in Luke 8. This is verse 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Now, let's just pause there. So much is packed in there in terms of her backstory. We have to, we have to, see, we have to see who this woman is through, through the eyes of those at those days. This woman is, is in a constant state of bleeding. And through a Jewish perspective, she is perpetually unclean. And she spent all of her money. She's destitute. She has nothing left. So she's, she's penniless. She's poor. She, she's, she's ritually unclean. She could not have gone into the temple. So she's pushed out of the, the, the most intimate circles of worship. And she can't even touch. Because to touch another human being is to make them unclean. Yeah, I, I, go back to the story, but we underestimate how easy it is to just not see the needs of people who are different. The disciples, the disciples in Luke chapter 8, they don't even notice the woman. Jesus says, someone touched me. They're like, Jesus. Like, the whole crowd, like, they don't see the woman. It is in our nature to not see the needs of people around us. It is in our nature as human beings to kind of think the way we think. Our age, our race, our faith, our, our, our socioeconomic, we think the way we think and we, we don't look at the others. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying, no, that's your neighbor. And God, God loves you but God loves your neighbor. Jesus, 
Yeah, it's a beautiful passage yeah. stopping here. Yeah, let's, let's, let's turn back to the passage. Let's see what happens. Um, she came up behind Jesus, it's verse 44, and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. This woman, ritually, she, she, she would have thought she would have made Jesus impure, unclean. She would have thought she would have transgressed the law. Of course she doesn't because Jesus can't be made unclean. But she boldly touches Jesus. And Jesus says, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Pastor, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Like, Jesus, like Peter has no capacity to see the neighbor here. What are you talking about, Jesus? Like there's dozens of people who are touching you right now. But Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceive the power that has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus, Jesus not only heals this invisible neighbor of his, Jesus then speaks words of blessing and love and care over her. The only time Jesus addresses another female in Scripture as daughter. So intimate, so loving. He has eyes to see her, to see her hurt, to see her pain, to see her, her frustration. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in wholeness. Go in shalom. I've, I have completed you. You are now clean. You're now pure. You're now brought near. You've now experienced worship as, as none of these people have. Jesus sees the neighbor. He sees Jairus, his opponent. He sees the neighbor who's invisible, and he calls us to see those neighbors as well. It, when he calls her daughter, it is so intimate and so beautiful and so good. Yeah. There are lots of people who feel misunderstood, unheard, unseen, discarded. Uh, a, a friend of mine who happens to be black, reflecting on things happening culturally, confesses, you know, um, I feel the pain of feeling unheard. I see the, the, the screaming happening culturally, and I'll confess, I want to scream too, because I feel discarded. And talk about a senior in a recent conversation who feels that as an older person they are discarded by society. Conversation with a police officer recently, back to cultural things, in light of all of the, all of the screaming to be heard, then, then they feel misunderstood, discarded, not supported. It is so easy to, to feel discarded in this world. Hear me in this. There is no human being individually or as a group that is not seen by God, mm -hmm. is not heard by God. God loves you, and God loves your neighbor. And our heart for that is that we would be transformed as, as a community, not just individually, like this, heart, this, this happens with our hearts individually, but then there's this corporate transformation that happens such that we would be known as a church that sees people 
and loves people, that quail run down, right down the road, would know that we see them and we care about them and we love them. We're a church that's for them. That those in this community who are, who are walking through job loss and frustration, frustration those who are walking through, through maybe difficult divorce, they would know that the church is a place, this new life, this is a community that cares about people, that loves yeah. people. And it doesn't matter what you look like. Because, because we have been transformed by the love of God and we have been transformed in the way that we see our neighbor. We know that God loves us and that God loves our neighbor. Jesus teaches in, in John that the world will know we are his followers. The world will know we're Christians by our love. By our love. Yeah. That's, that's how the world knows. So we want to uh, apply this. And we have three basic principles to apply. And we're going to start here. We have to start by receiving God's love. Before we can ever turn to say we ought to love a neighbor, we, we have to be filled up in order to be poured out. We have to come to the place where we can look into the face of God, look into the eyes of God, and know that we know that we know in our knower, God loves you. Yeah. God loves me. Hopefully you can feel him singing over you, rejoicing over you and receive his love for you. The Father's love for you, the Son's love for you, the Holy Spirit's love for you. God loves you. God loves me. Hmm. Uh, practical application number two is this. Would you begin to pray for your neighbor? Now, I say that like really specifically. Like who is the one who God has brought near? Who's the gyrus in your life? Or who's the woman, the bleeding woman, the, the invisible neighbor that God has brought in your life? You, you haven't even seen her Pray that God would give you eyes to see them. And then here, here's the power of prayer. As we pray for people, it's impossible for our hearts not to begin to be captured by God's heart for that person. For our hearts to grow soft to, to that neighbor in ways that we, we wouldn't have been soft otherwise. Now here's the crazy thing, right? Like you don't have to tell me to pray for my wife and for my kids and for my family and for this church. Like, like, I pray for those that I love. But, like, if you ask me, and I'll you know, you say, John, like, be real honest. Like, how often do you pray for your neighbor? The honest answer is, I don't pray for my neighbor nearly as often as I ought to. And if I did, like, those, those, those little quarreling neighbors around me that are just so irksome to me, and, like, I, I'm just like, oh, I'm so done with that. If I really set my heart on them, like, like even this week, I'll say, like, I began to pray for some of those neighbors again. Renewed fervency of prayer, and my heart began to grow soft. John, what do you think's behind that? What, what do you think the insecurities are that are there? What do you think the disappointments and the ways in which they're, they're trying to battle for love in this world are that are there? Can you not pray for them that they would meet me, John? encourage you, pray for your neighbor. Pray fervently for them. And your heart, I promise you, will begin to be softened and you'll begin to see them just a little bit more like God does. So a third point of application is to invest in your neighbor. Now this, this involves seeking them out and then investing time, energy, finances, investing into 
a neighbor. So, so I'll just share briefly. I, I told you I have two HOAs, one with just four people. I, I have a neighbor, um, a, a very unlikely friend. So uh, he made his whole living by owning uh, pornography businesses and... Um, Strip clubs. I'll say it for you. I know you don't like to say I don't know how to say that word. Like it, it, that, that's not a pastoral word that you speak. But, but that's what he owns. And, um, and to be fair, he's, he's never had a pastor as a friend. And to be fair, I've never had a, a strip club, there you got it, owner as a friend. But, um, but he's a neighbor. And, and, and we've become friends. And actually through suffering uh, in life, dealing with cancer, it, it brought the opportunity to, to stop by and visit with him more and found out, so a favorite treat was banana cream pies and so I started buying banana cream pies uh, or making, or that means Deborah making, <laughs> and stopping by with a banana cream pie to share a slice. Um, we need to build the margins in our life to look for needs and then invest, invest time and energy and finances to love neighbors. Hmm. We have to do that because of this whole principle. God loves you and he loves your neighbor. I love, uh, it was like a year ago or so, Pastor Zach that came and said, you know, I think God's calling me to join the <laughs> HOA board. And I was like, what? Like, that sounds horrible. Like, you list a hundred things, like, really, God, the H, but he said, you know, that's the last thing I want to do, but God's calling me to invest mm -hmm. and make relationships. Where is God calling you to invest in your neighbor? God loves you. It starts there. We, we don't respond out of duty. We don't respond out of obligation. We don't try to manufacture our own love. We are those who are conduits of the love of God. Because God loves you, and God loves your neighbor, and God has called us to be a people transformed by his love and pouring his love out to friends and family members and coworkers such that the love of Jesus Christ would be known and that we would be a church that's known for how profoundly we love God and we love our neighbor. God, we love you. Lord, on this Independence Day, Lord, our hearts are humbled. Lord, there's even just neighborhood stuff going on. Lord, our, our neighbors have been brought near in a different way. Lord, even just in the midst of the season, it's a crazy season to even try to figure out how to love our neighbor. Lord, as we're socially distanced and removed, God, it requires, God, God a work of imagination and creativity, God, that only you can have. But help us to see Jairus in our life. Help us to see the bleeding woman, Lord, the invisible in our life. And to see them as you do, God. God, may we be so transformed by your love that we would be those who love our neighbor as you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.